Amen. Thank you for that, uh, Pastor Skip. Always appreciate that one. And good morning to you all again. And we're going to continue our study of the book of uh, Genesis. So today we're going to read all of chapter 16. So when you find Genesis chapter 16, would you please stand for you in God's word? Okay, Genesis chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne to him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lehe Roy, which it let, and it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whose, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we again thank you this morning. Truly, thank you for all that you have done in our behalf and daily, daily are sustaining all things by your power and wisdom out of the flow of your love, Lord, looking after us, orchestrating our lives in such a way as to bring about good for us and glory for you. Lord, um, Help us to see that again in this message today as we consider the passage before us and as we uh, consider once again another episode in the life of Abram, your beloved servant, a man who trusted you. Lord, may we um, also trust in you as we should. And help us to not be sidetracked by our own desires, our sinful desires, Lord, enable us to stay focused upon you, 
and take your desires for us upon uh, ourselves as our own, conforming to your will. And Lord, empower us to live in such a way that our trust in you will be evident and that through it all, as you have designed, you will be glorified. Now all of these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Well, amen. Um, there, as I just prayed, there's great encouragement here for everybody. Uh, well, in two ways. Number one, if you're not trusting in the Lord at all, um, I would hope this would encourage you to do so. And um, hopefully by the time we get to the end of the message here, we'll, we'll all understand that that really comes through putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and all that He has done for us and sacrificing Himself for our sins and uh, delivering all who come to God through faith in Him, delivering us from sin um, and its consequences, eternal judgment. Uh, In fact, as is often said, delivering us from sin, Satan, and self, right? Uh, We need deliverance from all of those. Um, and also, I hope we find encouragement here, and I think we will, as believers, to uh, further trust the Lord, because I think this passage helps us see that God is faithful, um, even when we are not. And uh, it's, it's encouraging to, to look back. If, if, you know, this is God's Word, and so there's a lot of history here, just like we're seeing in the book of Genesis, uh, a big portion of, of the Bible is, is history. And we have recorded for us the lives of um, men and women in the past. Of course, here we're, we're talking about Abram and Sarah, Sarai, or, uh, who will later become Abraham and Sarah. Um, but men and women who love God and serve God faithfully. I mean, that's kind of the big picture analysis. But when you zero in, as the Scripture does, on certain points of their lives, we find that they didn't always look so faithful. They didn't always do the right thing. They messed up. And in spite of that, God saw to it that He got them where He wanted them to go. So, I, you know, there's, there's encouragement for us in that because um, we mess up also. So, I'm, I'm, I'm going to title this, and I, uh, it, this is going to be different from what you see in the bulletin. What happens a lot of times is I'll put a title in the bulletin for a couple of reasons. You know, when earlier in the week when I'm working on it or whatever. And uh, one, one is to keep me from forgetting it. If I, the, you know, the quicker I get something onto a computer hard drive or onto paper, um, the, the safer I, I am, you know, when it comes to remembering things because uh, my hard drive doesn't always work so well. Um, it seems like it just gets wiped out a lot of times. But... Um, so that's one reason I do that, and the other reason is, you know, just to, because I think I'm going that direction. You know, I got a, I got a title, and I'm I'm going that direction. But, but you know, as as um, continue studying and looking at the Word of God, sometimes, um, well, sometimes it's not unusual at all to be taken in a, in another direction, and uh, and that's that's great because uh, what what I want every. This is my goal, okay? What I want every sermon to be is um, God speaking through 
the pages of Scripture, you know. That's where I want my sermons to come from. Not me going there with an idea and saying, okay, now, how, how, can, I say, how can I use the Scripture to say what I want to say today? No, I, I want to see what the Scripture says and then be faithful to that. All right, so anyway, I'm going to give you a different title. That's just a little bit of explanation there. But I'll give you a, a different title. The God Who Looks After Us. The God Who Looks After Us. I like that term. Um, it's actually used here in the text, but uh, I, I like that wording. That's it coming from verse 13. Uh, Hagar says, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. So, I, you know, we've mentioned this before. It, a lot of times we're, we're reading narratives about Abraham, Noah, Job, and David, whoever it is, Daniel. But, but we always need to remember um, the central character is always God. He's always the star of the show. Okay, he's he's always the primary actor in the uh, whatever the story is that we're reading about. So we're we're looking at Sarai and we're looking at Hagar today, but as it always is in the Scripture, the main character is God, and 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 the main purpose behind these things is learning more about Him and how He uh, how He does things. So there's my title: the God who looks after us. And I just kind of subtitled there, The All-Sufficient Power and Comfort of God. The, and those terms you know, are carefully chosen. The All-Sufficient Power and Comfort of God. When something's all-sufficient, it doesn't need anything else. It doesn't need any help. The all-sufficient power and comfort of God. This is a, a story um, that sets human effort over against God's promise and His, His sovereign working in human affairs. And so just a, a kind of note to keep in mind here, when, when we're thinking about events, you know, like life, life moving in a direction or whatever, and events happening, human intervention in divine affairs produces frustration. Divine intervention in human affairs produces glory for God. Human intervention in divine affairs produces frustration. And really, you could expand that out because it produces a lot of bad things. <laughs> it's, it's vain, okay? It's unnecessary and it's futile. Human intervention in divine affairs produces frustration. Divine intervention in human affairs produces glory for God. And the Scripture, that's always the point. That's always where the story is going. The glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of God. Is, is at the end. That's the climax of, of every, every story told. In fact, the whole story of Scripture. That's the climax. The glory, the glory of God. And that's God's goal in everything that He does. 
just uh, you, you could spend some time thinking on that one for a while. God's goal in all that he does is his own glory. It's to, it's to display and maintain his own glory, I think is how uh, someone put it. Um, so, so God's main goal is always his own glory. And so when we, we see, see these things, you know, working out these stories here, and, and, and by the way, we can, you know, oftentimes we can relate to the stories that we're reading, and it helps us understand how God might be glorified in our situation and how we might uh, surrender to that, you know, and just kind of uh, say, Lord, uh, you don't need my help, and just, just be glorified. And teach me how to follow Teach me how to glorify you. Not, not how to help you, but how to glorify you by, not by acknowledging my inability to help you. I mean, that's one way that God is glorified, right? When we, when we come and say, look, I don't bring anything positive to the table. I bring nothing to the table except sin. So if you're going to be glorified in my life, it's got to be all of you. And, I, and what I need to do as a Christian is just surrender to that and follow, 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 follow that lead. So again, this is a narrative here that sets human efforts or, or human planning over against God's promise and His sovereign working in human affairs. Jeremiah 17, verse 5 says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. What a picture. Here's the converse. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So God does not look with favor on us putting our trust in human efforts. He does like it when we trust Him. He is our strength. That's good for us to remember when we're, when we're dealing with things. We, we cannot make things happen. However uh, good our ideas may be at least in our own head, right? <laughs> we can't make it happen because we're working against a sovereign God. You know, if we're trying to do something contrary to His will, we're working against Him, and we are finite, and He is infinite. He is all-powerful, and we are extremely, and that's an understatement, but extremely limited in our power. 
We cannot make things happen, and we should not rely on human means. Now, again, I try to word that carefully because I'm not saying that human means don't play any part. I'm not saying that God doesn't use human means. He often does. In fact, I think it's correct to say normally when God's doing something, that's, he, goes through, he works through natural means. He brings things about through what we call providence. It's, it's the use of natural means. Um, but we should not rely on human means. We rely on God, and then He uses whatever means He chooses to in His great wisdom. Because here's the thing. God's promise is sure, and He does not need our help, nor will He accept our help in bringing His will to pass or bringing His promise to fulfillment. Right? Now, just, um, I'm sure you got all that memorized now, so keep that in mind as we, as we go through here, right? No, really, hopefully some of those things will be helpful just as we consider what Sarah's doing here. So, there's a problem again. And really, this is, this is very much like what we just saw in, in chapter 15. Except, instead of Abram being concerned and, and then moving from concern to try to... Uh, uh, fix a situation to, to try to try to come up with a solution. Instead of Abram doing it, this time it's Sarah. Remember back in chapter 15, Abram was concerned because God had promised uh, an inheritance, and He promised an inheritance to Abram's seed, his his offspring. And so Abram Abram loved God. He trusts God. He he followed by the word of the Lord. He followed God from Ur of the Chaldees all the way to uh, an unknown land to him, Canaan. He tr- and there's no doubt he trusted God. But he's, he's an old man now, and his wife is old, and he's thinking um, there's a problem because God made a promise that I would have seed, offspring, and my offspring will be like sand on the seashore, innumerable. And the promise of inheritance, specifically here, it's the, the land of Canaan, God promised that land to my seed. Now, Abraham is an old man, his wife is old, and he has no seed, no offspring. So he's concerned. So he starts thinking, oh, okay, I get it. Or here's a solution. My servant will be my heir. And God says, no, 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 no. Your servant will not be your heir. It's one who comes from you. One of your own sons shall be your heir. So there, God reiterates the promise, and He makes it clear. It's going to be your seed. Well, now, we've got a similar concern here, except it's Sarah instead of Abram. She was barren, we're told, um, right at the beginning of this chapter. Sarah, Sarah had borne him no children. There's, there's the problem. Same problem. And the idea is, you've got this promise. God has made promises, and the promises are to be fulfilled through Abram's seed. But he has no seed. He has no children. So, somewhat like her husband previously, uh, she comes up with a solution. In verse 2, Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. A couple things here. Um, First of all, she says, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Um, let me just say, um, without knowing her, her 
motive. I mean, in other words, she could be blaming God. Uh, in other words, our situation, it's God's fault. And, and uh, that's, that's, a, that's a bad way to go. Hopefully that's not what she was doing. We don't know. Could have been. Um, that's, that's the wrong way to go. But I will say this. Her, what, what she says is correct. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Exactly right, because God is sovereign over all things, including conception. And that's true of, it's always true of conception, any, any woman, but particularly here, um, God is doing something, which, which again, is, is always the case. God's always working out His will. But yes, God has prevented her from having seed because He's, gonna, he's going to, to do what He's going to do which is give Abram offspring to inherit the promise. He's going to do that in a, basically a miraculous way. I mean, it's going to be through, through natural procreation, but at this late stage in life, I mean, it's what we would look at and say, that's a miracle, right? <laughs> right? Old man and an old woman. But he's doing it in the way... God is working things out here in the way that He gets the most glory. So yes, He prevented her from bearing children. Now, I don't know if she's just acknowledging that or if she was blaming Him. Um, but either way, that statement is correct. And so she, she comes up with this idea, and it's not just unique to her. This was a cultural thing. You have a barren woman... You could, you could legally in um, Mideastern culture, ancient Mideastern culture, culture um, have a, a surrogate. You know, you'd have a, have a, a, a in this case, it's a, a slave girl, produce children, and those children could legally be, that could legally be the heir. So she's, she's going to, you know, God doesn't seem to be getting this done, so we'll use a cultural custom to bring this about. Now, I'm going to tell you, like I, like I said with Abram last week, I don't know her motive. I, I'm not suggesting that she's just totally doubting God here, although that's a possibility. But it just may be, again, I said this about Abram too, it may be that she's just thinking, you know, God has promised Abram seed. It's obvious it's not going to be by me, at least in her mind, that's what she's thinking. It's obvious it's, not going to, obvious it's not going to be by me. But God did say, in fact, He did just, in chapter 15, make it clear again that it will be a son of Abram. So it must be that it's going to happen by another woman. So I give Abram my servant girl here. He can have a child by her, and that will be the heir. That's what God is doing here. Got it all figured out. <laughs> I figured out how to help God make this thing work. But, of course, she's wrong. And all it does is lead to trouble. And that's why I said earlier, human intervention in divine affairs produces frustration. So, of course, a Abram um, goes into Hagar and has sexual relations with Hagar. Sarah, Sarah gives her to him as a wife. She, she goes from being a slave girl to a wife, although she's not on equal status with Sarai here. That 
becomes evident as you continue in the story. But she produces the child. She conceives, and then she looks at Sarah with contempt. And by the way, that verb is the same one used back in 12.3 when the Lord says, I will bless those who bless you, and those who lightly esteem you, I will curse. And that same verb is used here. In other words, Hagar looked at Sarah with disrespect or contempt or lightly esteemed her. And so then... Sarah is furious. I mean, like I say, it stirs up bad things. And she blames Abram. Um, you, you know, um, why not? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what we tend to do a lot of times, isn't it? I've created a mess. And I would blame somebody else for this. I mean, you know, get me off the hook anyway. So she blames Abram. She says in verse 5, May the, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. It's, it's like she's saying, my intentions were good. I was, I was trying to make all of this work out for you, just like God promised. Trying to help God, trying to help you. Um, you know, even helps Hagar. She gets a little better status. I'm, I'm, my intentions were good. So, hey, it's on you. I don't, your new wife is looking at me. With contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Oh, you know, and I should have said, uh, I kind of skipped over this, but um, verse, what is it, verse 2, when Sarah de- Sarai devises this whole scheme, we're told Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. The very same thing that the Lord rebuked Adam for in the Garden of Eden. And the, the whole idea there, I think, it's not that it's never right to listen to your wife. That's not what the Bible's saying. Um, I mean, you know, we could build a whole theology on that, couldn't we? Run with it. No, that's not what the Bible's saying. But I think it is, again, exposing exactly what the Lord said would happen immediately following Adam and Eve's rebellion when he said to Eve, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And, and the idea being that what God was saying is sin is going to manifest in your life from now on. And here, here's primary way in your relationship, you are going to try to dominate your husband, which is not your place because you're created to be a helper and you're supposed to be in submission, but you're going, you're going in other words, there's self-assertion. You're, you're going to assert yourself into situations that you think your husband is not handling properly. And then your husband, in return, he's, or you could say he's to Adam, what you're going to do is sin also because you're called to be a leader and a protector and a provider, but what you're going, your tendency is going to be to not fulfill that role. So your tendency is going to be toward... Um, uh, an unrighteous, unhealthy 
kind of domineering, quote, leadership, which is really a perversion of leadership. All of that's Genesis 3, verse 16. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So in other words, what the Lord is describing there is a power struggle. And wives, you know, assert themselves and men respond either by bringing the hammer down, you know, just abuse in some form, or total passivity and you know, just Yes, dear, yes, whatever, just whatever you say. And neither, neither of those responses is right. I point that out because that's what Adam did. He listened to his wife. And in other words, she was asserting he was passive. Sarah is assertive and Abram is passive. And I think that's what the Lord is rebuking them for, or at least in Adam's case, he's rebuking him. Here it's just recorded, but I think that's why. In other words, what we're seeing here is a fulfillment of Genesis 3.16. And it's a, pro- it's a problem that continues in marriage relationships and one that we have to be aware of. And by the way, that's why it's written for us, not just so I can point a finger at my wife and so that she can point a finger at me. <laughs> it's so that we can be aware of our own sinful tendencies and fight, not our spouses, but fight those sinful tendencies inside of us. So I think that's what's going on here, and that's why it's said the way that it's said. Point is, the whole thing's a mess. God gave His Word. Now, there's another parallel, right, to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God gave His Word. And what Eve did was just disregard God's Word. I think we can work around that and we can, yeah, the, tree of, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil looks like it would be really good for us and make us wise. And So I think we can just kind of work around God's Word and it'll, you know, it'll all be better for us. And here God gave His Word, and Sarah's working around that. Sarah. And Abram, too. I mean, he's complicit. I mean, he doesn't... Not, don't misunderstand me as, you know, if you think I'm putting all the blame on Sarah. Quite, quite the opposite. And I don't think that's what the Scripture's doing either. In fact, I think that's why it makes that point about him listening to her. In other words, husbands... There is a sense in which we bear responsibility for whatever happens in the household. We're not off the hook. All right, so it's a big mess. And Sarah gets rid of Hagar. Now, God doesn't need our help. He's all sufficient in power. He can work out His will without our help, and He will, and He must, because ultimately we don't help, we just mess things up. But now get this. Not only is He all-sufficient in power, but He's also the God of all comfort. Paul calls Him the God of all comfort. 
And well, let's just pick up, back up in the story in the few minutes we have left here. Hagar, the servant girl who has now conceived by Abram, runs, flees for her um, life, I guess, from, from Sarai, because we're told in verse 6 that Sarai dealt harshly with her, and Hagar fled. She runs. But then look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her. Now, just think about that a moment, because we just talked about how human efforts messed all this up, or, or, you know, brought about problems. And this is not God's way, so you, you could say in one sense this is not God's way, and therefore, you know, now Hagar's gone. Let's start over from scratch, and, and Sarah and Abram could just write off Hagar and her son that's now in the womb, uh, Abram's son that's now in, now in Hagar's womb. God could just write her off. But look what happens. The angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And by the way, the angel of the Lord, that's the first time this phrase is used in the Bible, and it's used uh, several times here and then, of course, uh, commonly afterwards. And because it has the definite article, and because of a couple other factors, like um, uh, like even in this passage, she refers to uh, Hagar refers to seeing the Lord, and you have that in other passages as well. But because of that definite article, the angel instead of an un, an angel of the, uh, of the Lord or something like that, the angel of the Lord. A lot of um, theologians have have thought, you know, over the years that this may be the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus. And uh sounds reasonable to me. That's, I mean, that's not something we can... Well, I mean, you know, it is, because like we talked about before, when the, when the Word of the Lord comes, that's, that's Jesus. But was this a literal angel, or is it God appearing in some form here, um, spoken of as the angel of the Lord? That's the question. But either way, this is God speaking to Hagar in mercy, grace, and he says, Hagar, servant of Sarah. Notice he doesn't call her Abram's wife. Although in one sense she is now. But I'm, I'm just mentioning that because marriage is one man, one woman. And uh, what has happened here with taking on a second wife is the result of human planning. <laughs> human, you know, human devising. Result of the human will. It wasn't God saying, Abram, go take another wife. So he still refers to her as, as a Sarai's servant. But he says, where have you come from? Where are you going? Don't you love those kind of questions? I mean, it's like in the garden. Adam. Adam! Where are you? And it's not because the Lord has misplaced Adam or, you know, Adam was such a good hider that God couldn't find him. Those kind of questions are for the sake of the one being asked to stir up thought. He did the same thing with Elijah when Elijah ran for his life. I mean, after that great victory on Mount Carmel and wiping out all of the prophets of Baal, Jezebel said, uh, you know, I'm going to kill him. And Elijah ran for his life into the wilderness. 
And the word of the Lord came to Elijah there and said, What are you doing here? And Elijah said, Well, everybody, I'm the only faithful one left. Everybody throughout the land has forsaken you. I'm the only one who's jealous for you, Lord. And the Lord said, What are you doing here? <laughs> and that's the kind of question it is. Where'd you come from? Where are you going? What are you, what are you doing, Hagar? That's a good question for us, isn't it? Especially when we're in the midst of some circumstance that we have just wrecked. Or, and maybe this is more applicable to Hagar, but or in a circumstance that somebody else has just wrecked and we were just caught in the middle. And I think the answer in, in one sense, as far as where would you come from, in one sense it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Reverend Whitaker was here last week and uh, you know, he was the chaplain out at CDC, CCC for many, many, many years. And 25 years ago, I guess, I don't know, I was talking to him and, and uh, we were just, because I was out there visiting and he, uh, I don't know, he was just sharing a few things, but he, but, Talking about the prisoners, he said, uh, I don't ask them why they're here. I don't ask them what they did. I don't need to know that. Don't matter. And there's a sense in which that's, that's, I mean, that's just right on. And that's the way it is with us, too. How'd you get in the mess you're in? Well, I'm not saying that we can't learn from the, from the mistakes we've made. Certainly we can. We can analyze and we can learn. But sometimes we overanalyze. The, the point is, we need to look to God in the midst of those times. No matter how we got there. Now, it may be helpful to say, okay, well, I, I think I know how I got here. I think, I, you know, X, Y, Z, I did. And... Uh, Hopefully I can avoid that in the future. Sure. As long as we don't fall back into reliance upon self-trusting in the flesh, as Jeremiah said, thinking, okay, okay, now I learned. Now I got smarter. I can avoid this next time. Well, evidently I hadn't learned yet. We need to rely on God. She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. Wow. So at least at this point, now, I mean, she seemed like she was just kind of caught in the middle at first, but at least at this point, she started doing the same thing Sarah was doing. She's responding wrongly to the circumstances. Stuff got hard. Time for me to run. like the fight-or-flight things that you hear about. And Sarah seemed like she's fight, and Hagar's flight. Both are wrong. So the Lord says, Return to your mistress and submit to her. Verse 10. 
The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which means God hears. God hears. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey, that is Ishmael, shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Now, here's what I want us to get here, because we're out of time, we're very short on time, and besides, we could spend a lot of time on talking about Ishmael here. That'll come, because there's more uh, to be said about him. All I want us to get right here is what God is speaking to Hagar and what she is realizing. Call his name Ishmael. Ishmael means God hears. What is God trying to tell her? I, I hear you. I know where you are. I know what's going on. You don't need to flee. You need to trust me. Go back and submit and trust me because I am going to bless you more than you have ever imagined or ever could imagine. In verse 13, So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. You are a God of seeing. Or it can be translated, You are a God who sees me. So notice that. In verse, verse 11, he's... He says, you're going to call the child Ishmael, which means God hears. In other words, he's saying to her, I hear. I hear your affliction. I know about it. I've listened to it. And then also here, she responds back, he's a God of seeing. So hearing and seeing, the whole idea is he knows where I am. And then she says, for, um, for she said rather, for she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. This little Egyptian slave was realizing something here by the grace of God. That God looks after her. Even if her circumstance is being a slave girl to a Mistress who now uh, is very put out with her. God looks after me. I don't have to fight for myself and I don't have to run. I can trust God's Word and know that He will fulfill His promise to me. Therefore, verse 14, the well was called Bear, Bear, Laharoi. And he was, in fact, the term she used in verse 13, the God who sees. El Roi, the God who sees. And, it, and this well lies between Kadesh and Bered. So, here's the thing. And we're done. God looks after us. God brings His will to pass in spite of human sin and its consequences. Isn't that amazing? That God's blessing upon Abraham and Sarah is still going to, it's still in effect, it's still going to take place. And God's now promised blessing on Hagar. 
comes to her in the wilderness while she's fleeing and basically basically says, you don't have to run, Hagar. I'm going to bless you too. He's the God of all sufficient power. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't want our help. He will keep His Word. And He's the God of all comfort. So that when we do mess things up, or when somebody else messes things up, and we have to live the consequences, He comes and says, I've got it. None of that caught me off guard. And if we had time, which Lord willing, maybe we'll do it later, but uh, you'll see exactly why all this played out like it did if you go to Galatians and read the book of Galatians. Galatians 3 and 4. Ultimately, let me just say this, ultimately, the seed, right, we've said this before, the seed is Christ. The seed that God promised Abram is Jesus, direct descendant of Abraham. And it's Jesus who receives all the inheritance. And all of those who are in Jesus, Paul says in Galatians 3, are counted as seed. So we receive the inheritance if we are in Christ. That is, if we trust in Him. If our sins are forgiven because of His sacrifice and if we are trusting in Him for eternal life. In spite of all of our scheming, sinfulness, listen, our hope is in the fact that God looks after us. God looks after us. Would you stand, please? Part of that the ultimate part of that is that He has provided a way to be reconciled to Him, united to Him, put in right relationship with Him through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. We sang earlier, at the cross, at the cross, right? It was there by faith I received my sight. God devised that. Without our help, God who looks after us. Trust in Him. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. We're dismissed.